The following conversation with racial justice and union activist Bill Fletcher Jr. originally aired on May 28, 2021 on the Radical Songbook on KPOV 88.9 FM High Desert Community Radio in Bend, Oregon. The Radical Songbook is hosted by Michael Funky. It is a two-hour show highlighting the role that music plays in social justice and protest, and it airs Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Bill Fletcher, are you there? I'm here. Thank you for having me on. All right. Great. Thanks for um, coming on on short notice. I I know that you, um, you know, you got a life to live and everything, and I appreciate your your coming on. So as I as I was saying to listeners, and I don't know if you've had an opportunity to hear it, but uh, on Democracy Now this morning, Amy Goodman uh, actually had a, a t- talked about um, Tulsa, and specifically, uh, she interviewed uh, Stanley Nelson, who's the uh, director of um, Tulsa Burning, um, the film that will be aired on the History Channel uh, Sunday. Uh, let's see, it's going to be at uh, 5 o'clock Pacific Time, Sunday, May 30th on the History Channel. So uh, I just, I guess I just want to say that so that for listeners, if you were listening this morning, you know, some of what we're going to be talking about you're already familiar with. And Bill, I've already kind of given uh, listeners uh, an idea of, of what Tulsa is, but I want to get what happened in Tulsa a little bit, but I want to get your impressions on it. But I want to just let people know... I, Bill was a guest on my show back in uh, May 2013, and then more recently on November 27th uh, of last year. And you can you can find a podcast uh, of that show at kpov.org. Um, Bill Fletcher Jr. is a longtime labor and racial justice and international activist. He's on the editorial board of the Black Commentator, a senior scholar with the Institute for Policy Studies, past president of Trans Africa Forum. He's been active in the U.S. labor movement for over 40 years. I probably need to update that, eh? Uh, From local rank-and-file union movements to top staff positions in the AFL-CIO. He's authored four books, The Indispensable Ally, Black Workers, and the Formation of the Congress of Industrial Organizations. uh, That's co-authored with Peter Agard. And he's also co-author of Solidarity Divided, The Crises in Organized Labor and A New Path Toward Social Justice, co-authored with Dr. Fernando Capacine, who actually is the former chair of the Central Oregon Labor Council, uh, now lives over on the Oregon coast. And Bill also uh, authored They're Bankrupting Us and, uh, and 20 Other Myths About Unions and a novel. I've got your novel, The Man Who Fell from the Sky. I haven't started it yet. I'm looking forward to it, Bill. Thank anyway. You. Thanks for joining me here on KPOV. Yeah, pleasure. Absolutely. Right. Now, if, if, I, if I need to update that bio, you send me an email and let me know. Okay, Cause very I, good. Yeah, because I'd like to have you on again sometime. I, you know, you're kind of kind of becoming a regular, and I really do appreciate it. And and uh, at, the, uh, at the recommendation of one of our listeners who, who emailed me uh, and emailed the staff here, we also put this up on Facebook, so hopefully some folks uh, were able to see that. Uh, a nice photo of you, incidentally. Uh, so, can you start? Let, let's. Uh, I, you know, I, I really want to talk about, you know, Tulsa and what it means today. As much as it's not that it's, I mean, Tulsa and what happened a hundred years ago in Tulsa is, is more than just a piece of U.S. history. Um, mm-hmm. So, can you start by just telling our listeners? Can you just start by telling our listeners what happened that weekend in Tulsa? Well, I, I'd like to respond two ways. Um, one is to explain 
sort of the context and then what happened. Great. So I'm going to work backwards. I mean, basically what happened on, that, uh, on those two days, May 31st, June 1st, 1921, was that a white mob uh, carried out what in Europe was called a pogrom, uh, which was a racial massacre. And in Europe, racial massacres were carried out against Jews. Um, and this was, a, this was a pogrom against an entire segment of uh, Tulsa. There was a black community, Greenwood, that was a well-established and thriving community. Now, what's important, there's several things that are important in understanding Tulsa. One is that it was actually not unusual which should scare the bejeebies out of every listener, that if you look at the period after the Civil War, and particularly towards the tail end of Reconstruction, you saw the proliferation of white terror um, against African Americans, obviously against Indians, and against white supporters of African Americans. And the terror took multiple forms, including various kinds of lynchings um, uh, of, of individuals uh, and other forms of intimidation. And then you start to see the, uh, and, and there was, of course, the uh, very infamous 1898 uh, insurrection in Wilmington, North Carolina, which anyone looking at January 6, 2021, should really think about because it was an insurrection carried out by uh, an organized white supremacist group that did not like the election results um, and as a result they carried out an insurrection uh, destroyed a populist uh, government that had been uh, democratically elected and drove people out of town as well as murdered people um, so there was a pattern of racist violence that had been well, well underway by 1921. Uh, and, and there were, there were the, the burnings of towns, elimination of, of entire communities. In, 19, in the beginning of World War I, 1914, the uh, immigration from Europe was basically ended because of the war. And northern industry needed uh, workers, and they went south, and they encouraged African Americans to leave the south and to migrate north uh, in, um, in search of work. And this happened, and this is the beginning of what was called the Great Migration. Uh, and so African Americans in the thousands started moving north and west, ultimately. Now, Oklahoma itself had been Indian territory until white people discovered oil. And when white people discovered oil, as we've seen throughout history, you know, all agreements then go out the window. Who cares? And Oklahoma got settled. There were, there were large numbers of African Americans who had gone there in search of some level of liberty away from the intense oppression of the Jim Crow South. Around 1917, you start to see the development of these pogroms, and they were called race riots, but they weren't really race riots. 
Uh, race riots gives you the impression that these communities simply couldn't get along and it was complete chaos uh, of one attacking the other. And what really was going on were a series of racial pogroms uh, that uh, were, were known uh, in the case of uh, East St. Louis, Illinois, was the big and first one in 1917. And then in 1919, you had what was called Red Summer, where there were a proliferation of these pogroms that took place around the country, uh, Chicago uh, being one of the most well-known. Um, and then we have 1921. So the, the pogrom of 1921, the racial massacre, uh, basically begins with, uh, as many lynchings and massacres begin, with an allegation that an African-American did something heinous to a white person. Uh, in, in general, uh, you, you'll see this with both uh, uh, allegations against African-Americans, against Mexicans, against Native Americans. Almost invariably, the allegation involves a white woman, i.e. that a white woman was attacked or uh, insulted or whatever. Uh, the Emmett Till infamous case of 1955 is an example of that. And so in this case, there was an allegation against an African-American that, uh, that he had, in, had somehow insulted uh, a white woman. And that was the trigger for this pogrom. But what was the underlying issue? And this is what's really important to understand and really can be summarized by the opening scene of that great film, A Soldier's Story, which was based on the, the, the play, A Soldier's Play, in which the sergeant, before he's killed, he's drunk and he's talking about, you know, we try to do and to be like them. The sergeant was black, and them referencing white people. But the game is rigged. And, uh, and, and what's important to understand about these pogroms is that frequently they were incited based on white jealousy. White jealousy of the advancements that had been achieved by African Americans in, in whatever community or whatever field. And in the case of Tulsa, what we had was a very well-developed economy within the black community of Greenwood. It was called and, and was known as the Black Wall Street because of the proliferation of businesses and, uh, and the, the solvency of the community. And, and so, the, so even though the trigger was this allegation that this black guy had somehow incited or insulted a white woman, what was really going on was this deep resentment of any kind of African-American progress. And we see this as, as a recurring theme throughout U.S. history, by the way, which is one of the reasons that it's infuriating to hear white people talk about uh, African-Americans asking for things that they haven't fought for, that they don't deserve, or et cetera. 
when we try to play the game, the game is rigged. And, and, uh, and frequently, you know, despite whatever the rules are, all of a sudden the rules change or the bar is raised. In the case of Greenwood, the community did exactly what they had been essentially told by the uh, perpetrators of Jim Crow, so-called separate but equal. And it proved that there was no separate but equal because these racists weren't going to permit it. And they moved against the community, killing, no one actually knows how many people, at least 800 people. Um, and the community was bombed from the air. Now, it may be the first time uh, that this happened. It's not clear because in the, uh, the strikes that were taking place in West Virginia in 1919 with coal, uh, the coal miners, there were planes that were used. I'm not clear whether they bombed people. But, but in the case of Tulsa in 1921, the um, black veterans of World War I got together to defend the community. And uh, instead, police and other uh, military units were brought in. The community was bombed from the air. People were shot indiscriminately. And uh, there was apparently uh, huge mass graves that were created, and the um, and and people were many people were expelled from Tulsa. The story doesn't end there, though, and this is what's really important uh, to understand about the importance of history. What happens is the entire story of the. Tulsa 1921 massacre gets erased. It gets erased. So well carried out that even black residents of Tulsa in the uh, 1970s, 80s, etc., had no knowledge that this had happened because it became a forbidden subject. It was a subject that was first treated with a level of uh, justification by the media and political authorities that, it was, that, that this was a, essentially a righteous effort. But then it, 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 I think probably the facts were so blatant that it was really impossible to do that. So you, what you had is the elimination of the entire thing from history. And if you look throughout the United States, you'll find with the um, destruction of black towns, as well as the driving out of black folks from various communities around the United States, that after it happens, there is an orchestrated effort to deny that it ever happened. And that's what makes it difficult when years later communities are saying, we want to be compensated for these crimes. And you'll hear many white people say, well, you know, this didn't happen. You know, or I wasn't involved. I, I, why should I have to pay? Um, and it's because of what happens in history, the manipulation of history. Um, which is, as, as, a, as a general rule, I really encourage people to read the final chapter 
of W.B. Du Bois's Black Reconstruction in America, which he calls the propaganda of history. And when you read that, after you've read it, everything that I'm laying out right now fits together in terms of what happens in the ways that history is altered in order to serve certain interests and in order to ensure that the interests of others is ignored. Thank you for that. That, that was really a great summation. And, and um, yeah, I, I can't help but think about what's happening right this very moment in Congress with the, you know, an attempt there to whitewash what occurred on January 6th, which is somewhat perhaps tangential to what we're talking about. But No, it's not. But then again, very much all. connected. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It is. I mean, one of the things that I think is important, I, 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 I say this regularly, and I'm going to say it here. In the United States, we're taught to oppose history and embrace myth. Um, we, we are a country that actively opposes history. If there's something that happened in history that we don't like or that makes some people feel bad, we just white it out. So, so I mean, whether it's the Mexican-American War, or which could be more properly described as the U.S. War of Aggression against Mexico, um, that many school systems do not want to teach or do not want to teach, as they're arguing in Texas now, about the true character of the scoundrels that were in the Alamo in 1836, right? It's, it's, you, you have this approach of we must oppose history and, and, and embrace myth. And, and if we can't manipulate history, we just white it out completely. We, we act as if it never happened. And that's what these Republicans are trying to do with January 6th. And it's, it's, it's brilliant in, in, its, uh, in its maniacal approach. It's brilliant because what they're doing, what they did first was to try to say, well, it didn't really happen. Or they said, uh, well, it was, it was the BLM, the Black Lives Matter, and the anti-fascists that did it. Uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't good white people. But when all of those things stumble, and when it's clear that that's lunacy, what do they do? They basically say, it didn't happen, and we're going to ignore it. And, and if they get their way, there will be, we, the problem we will face is the same problem faced in connection with the 1898 insurrection in Wilmington, which is that most people have not a clue that that happened and why. And the fact that the state government and the federal government did nothing about such an open violation of, of the law. You see the same thing. So it's, it's intimately, intricately connected. Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, just a, a message to all you uh Folks of my age in your 70s, all you guys that were um, wearing coonskin caps and celebrating Davy Crockett back in the 50s, thank you, Walt Disney, uh, you were celebrating um, a real scoundrel, if you really want to look at, look at the history, and a, a racist scoundrel. So um, I, I'm talking with Bill Fletcher Jr. here. We're talking about uh, Tulsa, the meaning of Tulsa today, I guess, is what I will say. So 
your point on the whitewashing of history, I mean, again, I mean, we can take this up to another another uh, anniversary. We have to acknowledge the, of this past week, of course, was the one year ago on May 25th, the murder of George Floyd by a Minneapolis cop. And there, um, the official police report, if anybody cares to look at the official original pol- police report, it wash, whitewashes what happened. And the truth only came out because of some very courageous, I would say, eyewitnesses who, who were there and who filmed it. So there's a connection there, right? Right, Bill? Absolutely. So um, one of the things about George Floyd and Tulsa is a basic notion, um, and it's contained and summarized very well in Raul Peck's uh, recent film on HBO, Exterminate All the Brutes, that one of the best ways to understand the reality of racism is to understand that uh, the, the maximum use of violence against the slightest alleged infraction, that if you want to understand racism, that's all you have to understand. And, and so in the case of, of George Floyd, what did we have? We had an allegation, and, and it wasn't even quite an allegation, but we'll call it an allegation that he had passed a counterfeit bill, um, which, is, which is certainly not an offense that's worthy of capital punishment by law. So he allegedly passed such a bill. Never been proven. No one has ever come forward about that. And yet he is murdered when he is apprehended by the police. Um, something that would be highly unlikely for any white citizen of the United States to experience. If you look at Tulsa, the uprising is kicked off by an alleged insult by an African-American man against a white woman. If you look at the, the lynching of Emmett Till, uh, allegedly he made a, a face or whistled at a white woman and lost his life in a, in a brutal lynching. It's a maximum use of violence uh, in the case of an alleged infraction. Right? And, and so that's what uh, the George Floyd case and the Tulsa case have in common. Um, the destruction of towns like Rosewood in, in Florida. Um, the list goes on and on. Uh, the driving of African Americans out of various uh, cities um, and counties over time, usually in connection with some sort of alleged infraction by like one person. And so, uh, so yeah, these things absolutely share an amazing amount in common. So. I want to jump. I want to jump uh, into another something that I think is related um, in the time that we have left. If you're if you're okay with that, oh, I'm fine. Yeah. Um, you know, in the past few years, we've seen like a growing interest in among a lot of people. I would say uh, people that I know, at any rate, who are looking for more truthful ways 
to look at systemic racism at the core of U.S. history. Mm-hmm. And, and there's been this right-wing response, this attack, uh, uh, attacking, condemning, even outlawing um, in some states and communities the teaching about race and racism. Here, here in Bend, we just recently had a, a school board election where there were four right-wing candidates uh, running who were attempting to paint critical race theory as some sort of evil existential threat to the community. Now, fortunately, the voters in Bend in the Ben Lapine School District were wise enough to crush them. They literally, all, all four of them, were, were defeated by, by about a two-to-one margin, and we were able to elect progressives and people of color. I was talking to a friend of mine in Detroit who was, talk, who was talking about a school board race uh, in one of the suburbs of Detroit where he said something like, he said, they're using some term, I can't remember the name of it. And I said, I know what it is, critical race theory. And he said, yeah, that's it. So... The right is is basically painting this idea of critical race theory as some sort of horrible thing. Can mm-hmm. can you talk to our listeners a bit about what critical race theory is and and why it's and, and and if not that term specifically, why it's important for us to be talking about this stuff? So basically, the right wing is um, uh, creating a red herring, um, and the issue is not critical race theory. The issue is the truth. Critical race theory is something that was developed uh, in academia as a way of highlighting the centrality of race in uh, the history of the United States and history of the post-1492 world as a whole. Um, I don't bother to get into an argument about race, the critical race theory. Because it's irrelevant. The question is the truth. And, and, uh, and that's where it becomes important. So let, let's go back to the example I used of the Mexican-American War. Um, did the United States provoke the war with Mexico in 1846? Yes. It's not debatable. Abraham Lincoln spoke out against it. I mean, the, the, the historical record is clear if you want to... Look at the historical record. Now, if you want to just make stuff up, you can do that. You can say that the war was created by Romulans, right, um, or, or, or whatever you want to. But, but if you want to deal with the truth, the truth is that, yes, the United States it was, ex- uh, was aiming to expand slavery. The slave states wanted Texas. Um, they, they violated Mexican law in, in uh, 1836. They provo- provoked an uprising against the Mexican government. Um, and then the, the U.S. government, uh, under Polk, wanted control of northern Mexico. It's that clear. Right? I mean, really, it's, it's that clear. That's not about critical race theory. It's about the truth. I mean, let's not get bogged down in, in, in hogwash. It's not about this theory or that. It's about the truth. And, and that's what we should be debating. If someone wants to say, for example, as many right-wingers have said, the Civil War wasn't really about slavery. Uh, it was about states' rights. Well, I'd have two responses to that. First of all, if you actually look at the testimony, the speeches given by the leaders of the Confederacy, they say it's about slavery. Bingo, Right? But, but here's the other, the other piece, which I, I get a kick out of, 
because I did a little research on the Confederate States of America, and they didn't have states' rights. Um, there, there was no right of secession from the Confederate States of America. I don't know whether you knew that. No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. So all this BS about states' rights, well, it was a confederacy and it was a loose connection, but the bottom line is that when they formed it, they did not provide any right of secession for the individual states. So this whole thing about states' rights is hogwash. Again, let's talk about the truth. Okay. And, and, and the conservatives don't want to, because when you talk about the truth, it becomes very painful. It fundamentally asks the question, which side are you on, historically as well as today? Yeah, I and I, I think you know when you talk about states' rights, when when you look at uh, South Carolina, which I think was was the first or one of the first, yeah, it was uh, the first. That basically, what state right did they want? They wanted the right to to own own people. I mean, they right. wanted that was their state right that they wanted. So, so, and I understand. I do understand. I mean, I, I totally get what you're saying about about truth and critical race theory i think you know a problem that i think people have is if, if when it gets thrown out there and it's a new theory you know i mean it's a new term right it's a new term right. to a lot of people to a lot of white people it's a new term right. you know and so they hear it thrown out there and sort of i, I think there does it, it does kind of make the case for trying to explain that this this idea is not you know just uh, this horrible thing but so i and i and i guess what you're saying is that Try to get get past that term, critical race theory, by addressing that we're ta we're trying to talk about the truth, and that I get. Well, you see, that's what we have to emphasize. And when you, I, I give an example. So this, um, it, it was in where was it in Texas, I believe, where um, a law was passed that, or Oklahoma, Oklahoma, a law was passed that in effect said we should we cannot teach history that makes anyone feel bad about their race or gender right. with all due respect what the hell does that mean right i mean it's like how can anyone control whether someone feels bad in other words like if 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 i'm teaching a class about the armenian genocide and there's someone of turkish origin in the class and they feel bad about that. Does that mean I don't teach about the Armenian genocide? Right? If, if I teach about um, the, the Holocaust, and there's someone who's of German extraction in the room, and they feel bad because Germans sat back and watched all of these people being killed, and they feel bad about it, does that mean I can't teach it? I mean, what the hell does that mean? Right? And, and so, so, so but, but everyone knows what that means. It, it, what it means is we don't want to get to the bottom of U.S. history. We don't, want to, we don't want to understand the connection that race and capitalism have. We don't want to acknowledge this country would not have been built had it not been for slavery. It would not have been, it come into existence if millions of Native Americans hadn't been wiped out if northern Mexico hadn't been seized, if Chinese hadn't been treated like dogs, if a million Filipinos weren't wiped out in the Philippine-American War, it wouldn't exist the way it currently exists. 
and people don't want to talk about that. Yeah. You've given us a lot to think about, Bill, and I, I swear every time I, every time I, I, I talk to you uh, here on, on KPOV, I end up just, my notes are just, I'm just full of all these notes about books and, and, and films and reminders of some of which I've heard from you before that I have to, that I have to check it out, like the exter- Exterminate All the, all the Brutes. All the brutes. I, I've heard that's really a great film. It is. And... Uh, and your mention of uh, W.E.B. Du Bois' uh, book, Black Reconstruction in America, worth mm-hmm. checking out. So um, we're, we're kind of getting to the end here. I, I okay. don't want to cut you off, but I do. No. I, I want to I give you an opportunity to, if you have a, some sort of summation or anything, you, you've covered a lot of territory. I am going to turn this into a podcast. It'll be available at kpov.org by midweek of next week. So um, I'd like to say two things, and one is a little plug for my novel, uh, which in a peculiar way is related to this. Um, the, the main thing I want to say to your listeners is that one of the ways that we know history is as important as it is, is because it's treated in such a boring way in school. It's treated and teach, or taught to us as um, individuals and dates. And what, what, when you really look into history, what you start to see are patterns. Of course you see facts, but you start to see patterns. And it's the job of the thinking individual to start to figure out, well, how do these patterns fit? Towards what end? What's, what, how does what happened then help us to understand what's happening now? That's why Tulsa is so important that this whole notion in the United States of let's forget about the past and move forward always brings with tremendous danger because it basically means that the, the patterns, the, particularly the toxic patterns, can be ignored and then they can reemerge like, like a virus that someone has denied existing. Um, so... So that's the, the main point that I, I would encourage the listeners to think about in connection with Tulsa. You know, a few, weeks, a few months ago we had January 6th, a coup attempt in Washington, D.C. When you understand that we've had this kind of thing before, then it doesn't become shocking. It doesn't make it good, but it's not shocking. And you understand that there's weaknesses in the system that we have to deal with. Otherwise, the next time it may not be a coup attempt, it may be a successful coup. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess I just want to close. Uh, you had mentioned earlier about this uh, novel that I wrote, The Man Who Fell from the Sky, and it's about race, uh, justice, revenge, and Cape Verdean Americans. And Cape Verdeans are a population that most people in the United States don't know anything about. Um, they're people from uh, an archipelago 500 miles off the coast of West Africa that was controlled by Portugal until 1975. And they were the first post-1492 African population to come to the Western Hemisphere voluntarily. And so the book, which takes place in 1970, is situated among them and is based on an, an incident in uh, World War II. 
And so one of the reasons I wrote the book was to actually talk about race in the United States, but in a different way. And, and hopefully your readers will decide to pick it up. And the name of the book again? The Man Who Fell from the Sky. All right. And I'm working on a sequel now. All right. Bill Fletcher Jr., it's, it's just always great to have you on. It's a real, it's a real education uh, for me and hopefully for all of our listeners as well. So I just want to thank you for taking the time. And uh, I hope you can come back sometime and we can, unfortunately, there's, there's always going to be something to talk about around these issues of race and racism. Uh, yes. All right. Well, I'd, be, I'd love to come back, so just give me a holler. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this KPOV podcast. KPOV is community radio for the high desert of Central Oregon. For more information and a program schedule, go to kpov.org. We value your feedback. Drop us a note at podcast at kpov.org.